Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. So, I've taken a break over the past three to four weeks just to listen, learn, and unlearn what's going on in the world today. And I decided to post a podcast just to share where my mind has been at over the last few weeks. So... The first six months of 2020 have brought about a lot of, sorry, it has brought a lot of overwhelming feelings of pain, fear, exhaustion to many people across the world. During the months of March and April, I remember thinking how busy I was, how hard my situation was as I had to manage my kids with my wife, of course, but managing the kids, managing my business, my work, uh, managing our house that somehow turned into a daycare overnight, and all the uncertainties around dealing with COVID-19. Then on May 25th, 2020, George Floyd died by extreme police brutality, at which point much has changed for me. Over the past three or four weeks, I have felt confused, angered, shocked, baffled, speechless, disappointed, troubled, horrified, and so many other emotions. In the wake of George Floyd's death and the protests that have ensued, I began to realize and wake up to the uncomprehendable injustice black people, indigenous, and people of color face on a daily basis. The more I've read and listened, and the key there for me is listen, I see I've been able to see and gain clarity around the insanely racist systems that have been built in, in our money systems and just in our over, overall money systems and life. And how me, as a white male speaking about money on this podcast, money in, the terms, in terms of how to optimize money and how to make the most use of your money and, my, and our relationship with it, that in itself has an enormous amount of privilege. After reading, listening, and really trying to unlearn over the past few weeks, I've also realized just how much I've actually benefited from these racist systems that have been created. And that includes the financial system. And that's why I want to talk today is talking about the inherently racist financial systems that have been created from centuries ago. I was recommended a few books that I've read over the past few weeks, and I want to share two quotes um, from a couple books that I, that really changed how I view racism, changed how I am accepting to learn more information around racism, and just being more accepting over the fact racism is a system issue that is so deeply entrenched in so many of the systems that we occupy ourselves in. The first... The first quote is uh, from How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kenny. So the quote goes like this. The opposite of racist isn't not racist. It is anti-racist. What's the difference? One endorses either the idea of a racial hierarchy as racist or racial equality as an anti-racist. One either believes problems are rooted in groups of people as a racist or locates the roots of problem in power and policies as an anti-racist. One either allows racial inequities to persevere as racist, or confronts racial inequities as anti-racist. There is no in-between safe space of not racist. And 
that's from the book um, How to Become an Anti-Racist. And again, really, really, really good at sharing the whole system of racism and helping uh, the readers understand how these systems are created and how intertwined each of us are an individual actor within those systems. The other one is, so you want to talk about race? And that one's from Ijoma Alul. And the quote goes like this. When somebody asks you to check your privilege, they're asking you to pause and consider how the advantages you've had in life are contributing to your opinions and actions and how the lack of disadvantage in certain areas is keeping you from fully understanding the struggles others are facing and may in fact be contributing to those struggles. It's a big ask to check your privilege. It's hard and often painful, but it's not nearly as painful as living with the pain caused by unexamined privileges of others. You may be, sorry, you may right now be saying, but it's not my privilege that's hurting someone else. It's their lack of privilege. Don't blame me. Blame the people telling them that they have isn't good as I, Sorry, I'm going to go do that again. Don't blame me. Blame people telling them that what they have isn't good as what I have. And in a way, that's true. But knowing this, a privilege has to come with somebody else's disadvantage. Otherwise, it's not a privilege. And so that last statement there is certainly something that, um, unfortunately, I just, I didn't fully realize that, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, where someone has a privilege, someone has a disadvantage. Otherwise, it's not called a privilege. And for me, over the last three to four weeks, it's just been recognizing these privileges that I have. And it's allowed me to be open to um, more information from a different perspective, perhaps, that I wouldn't have been um, able to accept if I didn't understand that concept of privileges, one person having an advantage and another one not having that advantage. So what I've realized is for me, I need to do a better job in understanding and recognizing my immense privilege and the impact it has on society, the impact it has on the financial systems as I work through this podcast talking about financial relationships. But so back, I opened up talking about 2020, back to 2020. When I look at it now, I do see things differently. I see how disproportionately COVID has impacted the black communities. I see how George Floyd's death is a symbol of systematic, never-ending racism and police brutalities black people face every single day, aren't just from the last month, but, but decades and decades and decades ago. George Floyd's death has created awareness around countless other police brutality situations that black people face every day. It makes me feel emotional to think about these stories and hear people talk about their stories. Um, and, and there's been so many over the last three to four weeks. But then I sit and think with someone who has never had to be fearful for my life around police. And I've never really been negatively impacted by the systemic racism systems have been created. I can and never will understand the hurt and anger black people have felt and will continue to feel. So I go back to over the last three weeks, I've just been trying to spend some time learning, <clears throat> unlearning, learning and unlearning has been the things that I've been, just been trying to focus on and uh, get information from reputable sites, see 
uh, recommended podcasts and books from people that um, have an in-depth perspective and understanding about these complex issues. So why am I doing this podcast? Because as I mentioned earlier, as a white male talking about money and especially how to optimize our relationship with money, I realize that this podcast isn't for everyone. And I realize that there's an immense amount of privilege in even having that conversation. And I want to dive deeper in looking at the financial barriers that are created and, and potentially if, if I'm perpetuating of these barriers. I was recommended a podcast called 1619 and this podcast has been phenomenal for sharing really, really good information. But one episode in, uh, specifically is sticking into my mind right now and it kind of goes in tandem with another book that I read called The Black Tax by Sean Rochester. And they both talk about the origins of slavery and the economic impacts that the slavery had on the U.S. economy and how from the inception of the Constitution, the idea of slavery was known But yet when Jefferson was signing the Constitution, and this is shared in the podcast on 1619, when Jefferson was signing the Constitution, not only did he have a black slave with him while he was working on the Constitution, but over his lifetime, according to the internet and uh, some other research that I've done, he had hundreds of slaves in his lifetime. So despite him having slaves, he drafted the version of the Constitution that said – that every man was right to be equal. But yet he knew at that time that it was not feasible to free all the slaves because the economic impact of doing that would cripple the U.S. economy. So it just made me thinking that right back to the origins of the Constitution, money, wealth, caused Jefferson to write one thing in the Constitution saying freedom for all, but yet because he wanted to pursue money, he knew he was going to go against that. And really, that just shows how corrupt the financial systems are, dating back to, to those 400 years ago. So what does this mean now? Well, in, in his book, um, I talked about it just a few minutes ago, um, The Black Tax, Sean Rochester talks about uh, a very similar idea that just the amount of wealth that was created by having slaves to the U.S. economy. And in his book, Rochester talks about the 400 years of black population in slaves. He's done some math and equates this to it was about a $50 trillion loss to the black population. And that's because as slaves, they weren't worked, so the white plantation owners did not have to pay them. So that means, according to his calculations in his book, The Black Tax, $50 trillion is absent from the black population. This was money that was never transferred to generations of black families. Instead, it stayed in the hands of the white people. As you can see, this is a massive advantage to white peoples and disadvantage to black people. I mean, how do you even compete when the intergenerational wealth transfer $50 trillion is not, is not there? And then 
not only is that money not there, but there's financial barriers that are, have been created in the systems that are designed for people of color or, pe- or black people to not be able to access the same amount of money as, say, white people. And we can look at the how when slaves were freed, there was no land that was actually distributed, even though there should have been. And Rochester puts in his book, even now, 450 years of uh, African Americans being in America, only 2% of the wealth is held by the black population. Also, as I was listening to the 1619 podcast and doing some reading around topics they were speaking about, something as an individual who's fully immense are sorry, fully invested in understanding in different types of investments and investment vehicles out there. I did not know that um, during slavery, you could buy a mortgage back slave and the financial institutions then wrapped these slaves into what they would call a bond, which we have bonds today. And people could buy those on the open market. And a lot of uh, individuals from England who had abolished slavery were buying these mortgage-backed slaveries in the form of a bond on the open market. And to me, it just seems unbelievable that there were bond instruments that were backed by slaves. But that's a blind spot for myself that I, I just didn't know. And and then the further reading shows that how instrumental the acquisition, trading, and buying of these bonds were to the overall U.S. economy. In fact, at the height of slavery, um, according to research, the revenue generated from slaves was higher than the revenue generated from all factories and railroad put together in the U.S. So again, at the height of slavery, the combined value or revenue that came from enslaved workers exceeded that of railroads and all the factories in the U.S. So as a result, I mean, white people generated massive amounts of wealth for 400 years of slavery. Then then once the slaves were freed, as Rochester points out in his book, what were they freed to? They had... They were freed into a capitalistic economy, but without having skills and no money, being freed into a capitalistic economy is really difficult. And so Rochester talks about in his book is, so where they were freed, but freed to what? There was no land distributions. At this time, there still was a massive need for production because people still were, were buying so naturally, many of these freed slaves entered back into um, working on farms, but this time not as slaves, as crop sharing, or what they called crop sharing. But they had no resources, so they couldn't buy supplies. So farmers lent them supplies with interest rates up to seventy percent, and then the farmer control uh, like the, so the farmer controlled the resources and the cost of borrowing. But then when it was time to sell their crops, they were just selling it back to the same farmer. So they controlled the farmer controlled the price. Now, if you think about that, the farmer's controlling the resources, the interest rate, and the price. That's just inherently wrong. And according to Rochester's research, a good year, a farmer, or sorry, uh, a black person working on a farm 
would produce a neutral profit, meaning no profit. And many times there was a negative profit. So the system was designed to create the results that the farmers wanted to. But Rochester talks a lot about how they had no choice because the consequences of going against these systems was severe. So again, black people weren't accumulating wealth, none. And it explains the wealth struggles we see today because that $50 trillion of money didn't circulate the black economy. And Rochester makes a good point when he said, often he hears people say, well, that was such a long time ago. Why hasn't it been fixed? And I like Rochester's comment. He says, when you make that comment, it happened such a long time ago, you're suggesting the thing that happened or the issue was relatively small and had little impact. But as you can see, $50 trillion, four four years of enslavement, that's a huge impact. So it's not fair to say that that was so long ago. How come they haven't recovered? 400 years of enslavery and $50 trillion being extracted from the black population. And now to this day, still systems that are racist that have enormous amounts of financial barriers for people of color and black people uh, to navigate. So Today, I just want to share some learnings that I've had. This is just a few of the learnings, but I did want to get a podcast out because I want to share what, what, what has been going on, what I've been reading, and where my mind is at. And something that I want to talk about, too, is that the UN has noted that they have 17 goals to predict health. So 17 goals that they want the world to accomplish in order to have proper health. Goal number one, when you look at their website, is no poverty. And it's explained as this. Economic growth must be inclusive to provide sustainable jobs and promote equality. More than ever, I'm realizing the enormous financial barriers black people, indigenous people, and people of color face when trying to just maintain wealth, let alone build wealth. And according to the UN, and we all know that finance wealth is a huge contributor to someone's overall well-being so before i leave i want to share some podcasts and books that i have found very valuable and if you want to learn more these are the individuals who have an in-depth knowledge on this conversation and i think it's very much worthwhile listening to these podcasts or reading these books that uh, I'm going to give a suggestion. And keep in mind, just like every book or podcast, these um, happen to speak to me, uh, whether they will to you or not, we don't know, but uh, give them a try. The first one is a podcast called 1619. Uh, I would say listen to episode number one and two to start. And then the rest of the, I think it's a five-part series are awesome as well. Uh, the next podcast is from Journey to Launch with Jamila. Um, episode number 137, The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America. And that's with Sean Rochester that I spoke of earlier. And the books I've already mentioned, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Alul. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening.